Welcome back to the Beats with Kelly Kennedy. And today we are gifted with Cameron George and his amazing brain. He is the founder of True Kava. And Cameron really impresses me with his knowledge, his depth of science, his story. And I'm very excited for everybody to hear from the pioneer, the writer, the the researcher, product developer, entrepreneur extraordinaire, Cameron George, and again, the founder of True Kava. And we don't talk about product very much at all on our show, but this is a product that I firmly believe in and the science behind it. And I really am encouraged for you to listen to this whole podcast so you get to understand why Cameron is such an important piece to all of us understanding plant medicine. So welcome so much. Thank you so much for being a part of our show, Cameron. Kelly, thanks so much for having me. It's going to be fun. Yes. So let's give them a quick history of your story, because um, I do want to get into the science of true kava, and it's an amazing story, and I hate to ask you to brief it, but if you could just brief it, because I think your story has some pieces in it that's important for people to understand as well. Yeah, and even just say right off the bat, uh, just regarding true kava in general, true kava really is, is it, it, it kind of extends past just, you know, a company being a... Uh, you know, making kava available in the marketplace. We're just as much about advocacy for safe, uh, clean use of, of optimal, optimally processed and packaged kava um, as we even are selling a product, right? I mean, there's a huge education Period. around just the usage of plant medicine in general, but definitely with kava because there's been some myths and misconceptions that have come out of, you know, poor quality issues, I guess you'd say for, for a long period of time. And so it's, it's, it's a message that is really, really important. And so I, I always really try to stick primarily to the content. Um, and then we obviously offer product because, you know, we've, we've developed, you know, the best products for the highest level of therapeutic application to make that available to the public as well. Um, but there's just so much here with Kava. So, you know, going back to, uh, my story. How did I get into this? People always ask me that. Like, how did you, you know, how'd you get into this weird route? You're, you're a guy from Arkansas. Uh, you know, how'd you get into this weird South Pacific uh, route that's been drank, you know, this ancient root drink that's been drank, you know, medicinally in, in um, Fiji and in, in, in Vanuatu for 3000 years. Um, well, you know, just like so many people in the health and wellness industry and, you know, people who are speakers and entrepreneurs and writers and researchers and things just sort of like in this field. Um, I, you know, it all came out of my own pain. You know, I really, what I call and my mentor, Dr. Dan Pompa, we talk about this all the time. Um, it's, it's, it's something called pain to purpose, right? We, uh, you know, a lot of times we learn the most, you know, our greatest education comes out of the darkest times, right? It's adversity that really squeezes that out of us. And only, only necessity is really going is the is the primary factor that forces a person to sort of turn that camera inwards and sort of um, introspectively dissect all the aspects of yourself and really to bring out your greatest human potential. And that was really what happened to me. You know, I mean, I was basically a normal guy growing up, relatively. Well, I found out later on I had a lot of susceptibilities towards chronic illness uh, that, that sort of led me to getting sick earlier. But I developed a very severe neurotoxic autoimmune condition, just, you know, and this was like what, whenever I was 21 years old. Um, you know, this is one of those situations uh, that is becoming progressively more and more common. Uh, but back 10, 15 years ago, it, it still wasn't 
that well talked about, right? There wasn't as, you know, there wasn't a steady flow of sort of alternative health information and, you know, you know, sort of, um, you know, an expanded body of information that, that, uh, that, that sort of said light, shed light on um, the complexities of chronic illness, right? And that it's not just, you know, a few little pigeonholed conditions, right? That, uh, you know, that are corresponding to like a medication that you would, might take. But I developed, you know, a severe autoimmune condition. Um, I ended up with a whole host of different diagnoses. Uh, you, you know, everything from ulcerative colitis, Crohn's to lupus. I was even diagnosed with MS at one point. I was diagnosed with every psychiatric condition you can imagine, anxiety disorders and everything. Because at the end of the day, most of these conditions that we correlate to chronic illnesses, both both neurological and, and physiological, are really just individual labels for symptom clusters that, that we're labeling the symptoms downstream when a lot of these things today are coming from the same underlying sort of chronic disease inflammatory driven process. And, you know, really today, most of the chronic illnesses are all autoimmune. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's chronic illness of hyperimmunity, hypoimmunity, but really it's immune dysregulation that's caused by a, a whole host of different environmental factors that we're all exposed to sort of in this modern world, in this modern technological, chemically laden, stress laden world, especially now going into 2020, we're seeing, we're, you know, becoming more and more aware of, a, of our- yeah, Adversity, uh, there, we're getting lots of adversity in 2020 to- Absolutely, out absolutely. Our, our potential as you so eloquently put, but yeah, nothing is, one thing doesn't cause one thing, it's multi-causational, right? Mm -hmm. And I love Absolutely. you're using that word regulation. Thank you, Cameron, for using the word regulation. I love you for saying that word because that's really what this podcast is about, is getting people to understand the science of regulation, that instead mm -hmm. of running down the pigeonhole of this function of this and this function of that, look at the system as a whole and is it regulating or not? Yes. And no matter what the symptoms are, it's coming from a body that can't regulate for the crap that it's under the stress of the adversity, mm -hmm. of, right? Absolutely. That's kind of where this whole term that you know, we see in, in our world that's sort of like emerged, like the people are calling biohacking and, you know, people will, will um, you know, use different terms on it and stuff. But that, that whole term really came out of the understanding that the body is a complex system. It's like a biological computer. And, you know, you know, if you look at like a computer hacker, you know, a computer hacker doesn't understand every line of code in the system. And you know, a computer hacker is not just trying to target specifically one line of code. They can put in some data and then they measure the inputs, they measure the outputs, they try to influence the system by taking a systems approach, right? By you sort of hitting it at its base. And that's, that's really what we're doing here in this world of alternative medicine as well too, is you know, we're looking for the causative factors and we're trying to address the underlying process of disease, but you know, really we're trying to build health by influencing the entire system at its base. So stop the, you know, take away the factors that are causing the inflammatory storm and the autoimmunity and the chronic inflammation or chronic irritation, as we call it. And then we sort of fuel the body's innate intelligence. We put in all of these healthy inputs and then we measure the outputs until we get to a place where we're healthier and healthier, make the body stronger. But in relation to my situation though, back whenever I first got sick, um, a lot of us in this world in order to depict how chronic disease happens, why people get sick, or, you know, why some people get sick before other people and some people don't get sick at all and other people get profoundly sick exposed to the same environmental factors or bad diet or this or that. 
you know, we're all obviously humans, but we're all are genetically distinct in our um, range of different susceptibilities. Um, and if the body is a metaphorical bucket in relation to its stressors that it is exposed to on a day-to-day -day basis and it accumulates, um, and, and every, right, it's like if, if the body's a metaphorical bucket and every stressor that we're exposed to, physical stressor, chemical stressor, emotional stressor, is a drop in the bucket, eventually the bucket fills up and overflows. And at that point, we start expressing the symptoms of our genetic weakness. Some people have genetically smaller buckets than others. So some of us can handle more stressors before it you know, sort of tips our body into a disease process. And we all have genes of susceptibility. They don't determine disease processes in most cases. There is susceptibility, right? And then we have to have different traumas, different stressors in our lives, you know, exposure to bad diets, chemicals, you know, emotional traumas that eventually fill up that bucket and tip us into a degenerative disease process. And how it manifests, whether it be gastrointestinal or neurological, depends on where our genetic weaknesses are. So the genes aren't a, you know, a predetermination. They're more like a predisposition. They're like the loaded gun and the environment pulls the trigger on that eventually. That's what happened with me. Uh, you know, we call it the perfect storm whenever someone 21 years of age, just their health completely collapses, especially someone who's seemingly healthy. I was a really, really high functioning individual before I got sick. Um, I was an endurance athlete. I was a marathon runner. I ran in college. I was like, I, I made the, the Olympic trials. Actually, I mean, I was, I was, you know, very high functioning, both physically and mentally. I, I, I was working three jobs. Um, then all of a sudden I started to get a level of chronic fatigue that was pretty overwhelming. I wasn't recovering from workouts. I thought I was overtraining. I started to back off. It wasn't getting better. I stopped being able to focus. I started to get, you know, pretty severe depression. I couldn't get off the couch. And all of a sudden, like it just kept getting worse and worse until all of a sudden the bottom completely fell out. And I, I really couldn't get off the couch. And I, I just thought that it was a moral failing that I was just weak inherently, or that I was just not, you know, not, I guess, mentally strong enough. I ended up in a psychiatrist's office when I was, where I was prescribed a whole host of different medications. The primary one being Adderall, which is an amphetamine drug, not really dissimilar at all to meth. Just the, the concentration and mechanism of delivery uh, is, is slightly different, but essentially what that did is, cut to two to three months later, I was living the life of a meth addict. It completely destroyed my life. I was already headed there, but that was sort of like, you know, throwing amphetamine in a, in a system that's highly compromised metabolically, which I was, I was ridden with inflammation from this autoimmune process. And, you know, my system was really weak and it was exhausted. And then throwing amphetamines in there is, is like throwing jet fuel with a car engine that's already um, sort of vulnerable and weak. It, it just blew it out, right? Initially, it, it felt better. It got me off the couch. That was sort of like borrowing from tomorrow to pay for today. It was like charging credit with my body's energy supply. I wasn't really creating any more energy. I was just using up deep stores. And eventually I went even more bankrupt than I previously was, which is really the story of drugs in general, right? Synthetic drugs um, override the system and they borrow from tomorrow's brain chemicals, feel-good chemicals, or other chemicals in the body, hormones and such, to pay for today's. It's like borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. It's not sort of bringing more energy into the system and sort of healing the underlying deficit that's causing the dysfunction to begin with. So it was this perfect storm. The bottom had already pretty much fallen out on a, on a basic level. Then we threw all of these amphetamine drugs into my system, and that was sort of my first really big bout with synthetic pharmaceutical drugs. And that 
not only did it totally change my personality and bring on a bunch of horrific, negative, toxic circumstances, that's a whole story in and of itself. But basically, like I said, I ended up living like the life of a meth addict. I went on crazy buying sprees. I was, I turned into a totally different person. I charged hundreds of thousands of dollars of credit. I ended up with a, an apartment uh, full of like exotic animals. Like this was it, like crazy. It was like a crazy wow. nightmarish movie or something. <laughs> it, it was, it was completely nuts. Um, my life broke down in various ways, you know, financially, emotionally, um, you know, and then obviously physically, you know, eventually the system like completely crashed. Like I thought it was crashed like pre-drugs, pre-Adderall. It completely just got torched after about a year and a half of this sort of escapade that I went on. And I was forced off of it, basically off of those drugs, because I was just, I was, I was going to completely yeah, yeah. just, just torch myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I went off of them and I, you know, sort of realized what was being covered up on the surface by that, by those, by that uh, compound that I was taking. Um, so my system, when it completely crashed, you know, the state that I was in at that point, it wasn't even like brain fog and fatigue don't adequately describe it. It was more like brain dead. And it was like complete, just absolute energy deficit. Um, I, I literally could barely get out of bed now. And my, I had such profound cognitive deficits. Um, I was forgetting things. I was forgetting, I was getting confused. I was, I was, um, I, I got to where I couldn't drive because my depth perception was off so much. My short-term memory, I was starting to have crazy sort of like, you know, deficits in my visual field. Um, I got to a point where I wasn't recognizing people's faces in my own family. I mean, I would look at them and kind of get confused and it, it, it was just really, really bad. Um, and so I basically ended up completely shot, completely dysfunctional because of where I was from a cognitive standpoint, an energy standpoint, I couldn't even begin to hold down a job or, you know, no, function Joe, on any level. I don't want to interrupt, but I have to, I know there's a lot of people listening right now that are like, he is talking my story. He's telling my story. And we haven't had a client on this show yet. And what you've so, I hope everybody listens to this about seven times because so far what you've gone through in the first 10 minutes is explain this medicine and this science so beautifully and make people understand that you tried everything and yet you felt like, I'm sure you felt like you were going crazy. Correct me if I'm wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> and then all the doctors were telling you that it was in your head, right? And mm -hmm. so here you are feeling like it's in your head. They're telling you it's in your head. How the yeah. hell did you get out of that? I'm so like, what caused you to get out of that? Because that is where so many people are at. Yeah. Um, once I arrived at that place, you know, this was, a, you know, at, at this time, this was like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, this was a, even a completely different world than we live in today, yeah. right? Like the, the availability of alternative health information was drastically lower than it is today. And even today, it's not where it needs to be yet to really meet the, the global epidemic need and to be circulating through the mainstream where it needs to be um, as far as like addressing causative factors and understanding chronic diseases from a systems approach and everything. Um, so I was basically, and I'm from, 
I'm from uh, Northwest Arkansas, so this was not a part of the country that was highly progressive that had a lot of understanding alternative. It was basically, I had a family doctor down the street that was just a standard physician where I go to him, I tell him my symptoms, he types them into the computer, gives me a corresponding medication. If I ask him what the medication is, how it works, he looks at me like deer in the headlights. If I ask him what caused this disease or what this drug works on chemical, he doesn't know. He's just like, look, I just work here. Okay, great, man, like this, <laughs> this is really helpful. Um, so I ended up at a, at a whole host of just standard practitioners, which in their defense, they're not taught any of these things. They're, they're essentially, you know, the, most of the, of the standard physicians in allopathic medicine are not the architects. They are not, um, they don't build the scaffold. They don't understand most of the science. And most of the time they don't read science at all. They don't have time to, they're not trained to, they're not told to. They read clinical studies from pharmaceutical companies, which, Obviously, a lot of times are, you know, manufactured to get certain effects or omit certain details. It, it, it's marketing. It's not as much science a lot of times. And it, and they just have a limited, you know, even availability to that information. A lot of times don't even have time to read that because they're operating their practices. So eventually they act as sort of like mechanics that are just kind of there and they're told what, how to work on the car. And then they just, here's this drug, here's the surgery. That, that system, allopathic medicine was designed to treat acute emergency um, episodal sicknesses, right? It wasn't designed for chronic disease because at the time when allopathic medicine was designed, most people were dying from infections and, and accidents. And so surgery and drugs, that system really has done exactly what it was designed to do. But now a lot of what we've done in our lives by introducing all this chemical agriculture and some of the different environmental stressors through modern technology, we've created a whole host of epidemics and diseases from what I call nature divorcement syndrome, right? Just, you know, you're creating barriers of separation between us and our natural life and ecology that we end up in this situation where um, our medical system doesn't even begin to meet the need that we currently face from a chronic disease standpoint, right? right. Um, so for acute, you know, emergency, you know, illnesses, right? If I get hit by a car, that system is amazing, right? I, I don't want essential oils and multivitamins. What, you know, I, I want the surgery, give me the surgery, give me the morphine, right? It's an emergency. But as soon as I get stabilized, I want to get as far away from that as I can, because the system is just not designed for that. And so I found myself in the middle of this. I don't see myself as a victim, which is partly how I got out of this, which is very important. But in, in some sense, I was a victim of that, even though I didn't take on that, that mentality. Um, uh, you know, just, you know, being a, a kid who just wants to do the right thing that just wants to be at his best, that is, is pretty success driven, that just wants to do the right thing. And what you had access to. I mean, that's it, all it, there was exactly. access to. I just, I, I had a massive deficit of good advice in my life. I had actually plenty, I had a great support system in my family, people yeah. who love me, which is one reason why I survived. Um, they were willing to do anything to get me well, but they weren't given the, they had no clue. They were not, they're not into all this. They're not, you know, you know, savvy to research and science and a lot of things as far as my family's concerned. So they supported me, uh, you know, we were there for me uh, emotionally and, you know, whatever I needed to do, but no one had any answers for me. I wasn't, I wasn't taught any of this. I only had a limited education on how to get my body to perform better, like say whenever I was an endurance runner and stuff, but all that was very, very different than how to like maintain longevity and how to rebuild a body or to, or to actually support a body's regenerative processes, healing processes to upkeep it, how to create energy instead of just release energy, right? You know, like with, uh, you know, stimulants and stuff and drugs and everything. But anyways, right, so I ended up 
in this situation where I'm totally spent, I'm totally fried. My brain is completely fried, which, you know, that's, you know, really in a lot of ways, your, your best asset, because that's how you interface with reality. That's how you, you get yourself out of problems. Um, and I had no guidance. And not only that, I was really getting a lot of abuse hurled at me from everyone who I was explaining this to, uh, you know, I had, you know, physicians even laugh at me at times whenever I would try to tell them that this drug did this to me and blah, 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 blah. I, I, I got, I, you know, I read into a lot of stuff and then I had a lot of well-meaning physicians that just had no clue. Even I went back to my psychiatrist and they're just like, oh, sorry. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, thanks, you know? So I was really in the situation where, you know, I could have taken on the victim role and I could have sort of embraced that and just became sort of bitter and resentful and burrowed myself in a cocoon in which I wouldn't have survived because I was deteriorating actually pretty rapidly. I started down the autoimmune path even more and started with some horrific reactive symptoms that were, you know, that were, uh, that eventually got really dangerous. I ended up extremely chemically sensitive, extremely food sensitive. And my reactions eventually got to the point where I was having multiple seizures a day and such. Once I really sort of unraveled my health, it was deteriorating at this point, even after I was off the Adderall, because I had just put so much inertia into that. It was, the, the, the ball was already tumbling down the hill, so to speak. But, so I was sort of, you know, racing against the clock, right, to even find any means of even slowing this thing down and stabilizing it, you know, much less rolling the ball back up the hill and, and trying to actually get my health back. So basically, I just did, I used every skill that I had accumulated over the course of my life at that time, which had normally gone towards my work and had gone towards, you know, performance and endurance sports. And I just used every bit of cognitive energy that I had left available to me pretty much all day, every day. I just scoured medical scientific literature articles. I was, I was reaching out to doctors all over the country that had platforms online, even though there weren't that many of them. I got on blogs, which was difficult to do with the amount of energy that I had and the, the sort of, the, the, just where my cognition was at that time. But I did, and I, it was day in and day out, and I just started reading, and I just started sort of trying to paint a picture. First, what had happened to me, and to sort of try to grasp a, you know, a new philosophy, because I, I realized pretty quickly that um, that I wasn't a victim, that even though I was in the midst of this whole thing where the system had thrown all these drugs at me and given me all this bad advice, it was my perspective that's, that, 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 that sort of gave my responsibility up to that system, mm -hmm. right? You know, and so it, it, was, it was me. I sort of had this realization and it, there was a whole story behind this, what, what happened here, but I had a, you know, pretty big sort of, you know, there was a, you know, there's a spiritual component to it, I guess you'd say, which happens to a lot of people whenever uh, their their backs really up against the ropes, right? You sort of go into this introspective state, you're crying out for answers, and you just get this huge perspective shift, right? And, um, you know, I just, I came to the realization that that I had to take responsibility for it, right? That it wasn't necessarily my fault, but it was darn sure my responsibility if I was ever going to get out of it, because no one else was going to do it for me. So that's really, and then I already through years and I'd already built this persistence muscle by being like an endurance athlete and stuff. So I had already kind of built that sort of like will to fight, will to survive kind of thing, which had tremendous purpose that I had that built and then I used it here. And I just fought every single day, all day, every day to try to 
rework my philosophy and get it right. And once I started to get into this world, this sort of alternative integrative world, this, this body of information that is really, really in line with what the science and the scientific literature is saying instead of what, say, a clinical study or you know, marketing from a drug company is telling us or the American Medical Association or, or whatever, whatever regulatory body is telling us this or the food pyramid or whatever. I started reading the science and then just from an, an intuitive perspective, what I knew had happened to my body from taking on the philosophy of using drugs and not paying you know, attention to nutrition. And I just, I, I had my intuitive muscle sort of lit on fire because I was in desperation as well too. So I had the rational muscle that was going then I had sort of the intuitive muscle and then I just started to form this picture. Um, and it, it really was just a massive transformational process that continued to unfold over years. And I spent the better part of eight years continually deteriorating, but, you know, finding ways to sort of slow that down through diet and supplementation and stuff. But eventually I got so sick, um, and I wasn't able to really put all of these little pieces that I had found, you know, everywhere into a system. I, that I, um, I was really near death. Like I said, I was having seizures, you know, all day long. And I got to where I was reacting to everything I was eating, including water. I got to where I was having seizures from water. So I almost died from dehydration. I, I eventually, after traveling around everywhere, I got in contact and I met who's, you know, a man who doctor is one of my best friends and mentor today. His name's Dr. Dan Pompa. And he sort of helped me put all of these little pieces, these little bricks that I had found in the scientific literature and helped me build a house out of them, right? It's like, you know, a, you know, a house is made out of bricks, but a pile of bricks is not a house, right? right so right. it's like, you, you know, you have to, so much of how we actually get well, um, how, how we get people well in today's world, obviously, and how, you know, people even get sick, it's, it's, it's a multifaceted process, right? You can get here from one factor, there's multiple drops in the bucket, but then it takes a multi-therapeutic approach usually to get people out of it. You have to change your diet. You have to optimize your sleep. You have to use target supplementation a lot of times. And then you have these icing on the cake therapies to help assist in that process for detoxification and for regeneration of tissues and so on and so forth. Um, so he, you know, meeting him and getting integrated with his network of doctors really was a turning point for me where I actually started to get some momentum and a system behind it. I addressed detoxification and that was really the primary, that was at the heart of how I really started to move the dial. And then I got into um, you know, optimizing the diet and varying the diet and fasting and um, you know, eventually got into regenerative medicine as the icing on the cake. Um, and all those things combined over probably about five or six years time, um, I became pretty much completely normal again. So that was really the process of how I got there. And that really brought me to the discovery of Kava as well, because Kava was the main, the main means. It was, it was sort of like a, a, a rediscovery that I made when I was trying to get off of heavy doses of benzodiazepine anti-seizure drugs um, while I was having seizures all day long. And I was in this reactive perpetual sympathetic state where I was deteriorating rapidly, rapidly, even more rapidly. Benzodiazepines are a class of drugs. They're, they're anti-anxiety, anti-epileptic drugs that uh, like Xanax and Klonopin. Uh, so they're some of the most commonly prescribed drugs today, right? For any kind of psychiatric situation, because stress is at the forefront of what people experience so much. They're highly addictive. They're highly toxic to human metabolism in the brain. 
um, they're, they're, it's not a good long-term situation at all. Short-term at best. And if you can avoid it short-term, then definitely do it. I already knew this because I had been down that road with Adderall. So, you know, during this process, when I was working with Dr. Pompa, he was coaching me through a lot of this, but I couldn't actually tolerate a lot of foods. I couldn't do a lot of the things I needed to do to get well. Cause I was reacting to everything I was putting into my body. Um, and, and I was having these seizures that were just keeping me, you know, degenerating. So I needed to get off of the benzodiazepines pretty quick. Uh, so I needed to find what I referred to as a plant-based substitute or a plant-based analog to a benzodiazepine. So I started revisiting the scientific literature of, you know, I'd already been down this road before, but I just started to revisit it because I was desperate at that time. And I was looking for compounds in, in the ethnobotanical literature and in, in the anthropological accounts from every country around the world that sort of bound to the same receptors that benzodiazepines do that could, you know, reduce or eliminate possibly the withdrawal process, but then also help to act as a non-addictive, non-toxic alternative. So it didn't, you know, if you go down that road, the pathway of interest of these class of drugs, anti-anxiety drugs, is a pathway called GABA in the body. GABA is the ultimate calming chemical in your body. It's calming neurotransmitter. It, you know, it, it calms anxiety. Anything that enhances sleep or reduces anxiety is going to have an effect on that pathway, right? It's like the brakes. Um, so just, so just real quick for people that aren't so scientifically driven, make sure they mm -hmm. understand. So essentially there are chemical compounds that the pharmacy makes for anti, for anxiety to help turn down anxiety and the, the, the mechanism in the body that gets the body to feel anxiety. And what you mm -hmm. looked for was an alternative in the plant world that's going to have that same key, if you will. So the door is on the cell that's going, hey, mm -hmm. behave in this way, go down this path. And what you wanted was the same door opened, but with a plant compound to get that same door open. That door open is for the body to create GABA. And yes. GABA is the overall calming hormone that allows the or amino acid that allows the body to really relax. Exactly. Right. And it's um people understand your incredible depth of knowledge. I mean, <laughs> I have to re-listen to this podcast. You you speak like I do very fast. You know the science very well, which is obvious, which is really great. And we know this is not going to be the last podcast you're going to be on camera because you have a lot of information in your head. But it's really important for people to understand that because the ones that are on anti-anxiety meds that have been down this road, you know, maybe they know kind of a little bit about what a benzodiazepine is, but you do mm -hmm. because you're the researcher. So they might have a scratching surface. I think I'm on a benzo. That sounds familiar, <laughs> but this is what happens. And all of medicine and what he spoke to earlier was, you know, they're physicians of medicine. So we can't fault them. They're not physicians of wellness. They're not physicians of plants. They're not yes, physicians of, exactly. of frequency and vibration. And we're not physicians. Cameron and I are not physicians, but we're researchers and we're scientists. That's what I yeah. would like to say. Yeah. And so from a researcher scientific perspective, he went on his own path to go, I'm going to find something that's going to help me get off this. It's going to open that same door and get me into calm state. So from yes. that point, go. Yes, exactly. So these... Yes, yes. So with, with, with plant medicines, you know, the main philosophy, I guess, here that's important to understand, we talk about the difference between pharmaceutical drugs and plant medicines, is that pharmaceutical drugs are synthetic, right? So obviously, um, they're not what I call um, 
anywhere near as biologically compatible, right? They, they don't have the same compatibility with our bodies because plants are living organisms. So if I take a plant out of the ground and kava is one of those plants, it's a shrub that grows in the South Pacific. If I take a plant root, for example, and it's a plant medicine that's been consumed, you know, for over 3000 years, it's, it's a full living system, just like the human body is a full living system, right? It has a multitude of different active compounds in it, active living compounds. It's like a network, just like the, you know, you know, the human organism, our bodies are a network of different cells, brain cells, heart cells, liver cells, lung cells, different signaling molecules. And it all works in this amazing sort of, you know, symphony or like orchestra that it all plays together whenever it works together and everybody can get on the same page. And it, it defaults to a state of health if it's just given the right signals and ingredients and stuff. Um, plant medicine is the same thing. And so what we're doing is we're taking uh, a, another living organism that comes from our natural ecology, which we come from our natural ecology. We're not separate from it. We're an, an extension of a living intelligent system that is the natural world, the, the organism of planet Earth. And we're just taking another extension, like we're like the apple tree on, or we're like the apple on the tree, right? We extend out of this world and so do the plants. So we have two organisms and you take one and you put it in the human body. Obviously it has a compatibility because it say it came out of the same intelligence network, right? That's probably the easiest you know, way of thinking about it. Whenever we take a synthetic drug, we are denaturing it. We are distorting it by, you know, usually most synthetic drugs, we take an individual little molecule out of a plant or we just like synthesize one completely. Um, and it has a very direct action in the body. It's, it's, it's a man-made single compound. It doesn't have this sort of synergy of different processes that sort of act as like an assembly line that all sort of like go from one step to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. So that's, that's it's basically. Comprehensive. It's not yeah. as comprehensive. Yes, exactly. It's, it's not as comprehensive. It doesn't, there's not all plant medicines like kava have a lot of different active compounds in them that all work together. There's an intelligence to it because it was alive at one point, right? Right. And, and, you know, pharmaceutical drugs were not. Pharmaceutical drugs are like individual molecules that sort of like are hacks that, that, that we synthesize to fit in that same lock and key mechanism inside a, a hormone receptor or inside a cell. And we get a short-term effect out of the body and we push it in one direction or another which can have short-term benefit if we're in like a very bad emergency situation. The problem is, is that if you, if you intervene, if I go up to an assembly line in a factory and I just go in the middle and I just kick one guy out and I start doing something different, it's going to throw off the whole assembly line. Right. And eventually it's going to like, it's, it's going to, you're going to get a stockpile and everything. And it's just going to throw up the whole system. That's really what we're doing with pharmaceutical drugs with plant medicine, you know, it's like taking another assembly line, it's like fusing it together and then they work together. There's, it's like a lock and key type thing. And, and that's a, you know, somewhat more complicated or, or dissected way of just understanding that, uh, that, you know, that, you know, we're both natural living organisms and obviously things from nature are going to be more compatible with us. They're not synthetic. So in that sense, because if you think about like that assembly line metaphor that I just gave you, um, that, that, you know, sort of restructuring or like interruption of that assembly line that's happening at a chemical level inside of the cell of our body, whatever cells being targeted by whatever drug you're taking. Um, that's why drugs lead to addiction, dependency, toxicity, and withdrawal, because it throws off the system. And it essentially, it's not creating, like if I take a benzodiazepine, 
that is supposed to raise levels or raise activity of that GABA molecule that, 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 that calms us down, that reduces anxiety. It's not creating any more of that chemical. All it's doing is using it up our stores of that chemical. It's like hacking the body to do that, right? So I like to think of it as like charging credit. It's like borrowing from tomorrow, like I was talking about with Adderall. It's like borrowing from tomorrow's chemical stores to pay for today's, right? So there's always, you know, you're always going to be like more depleted tomorrow after taking a drug, right? So it's not doing anything to nourish the body to get it to balance itself out on the foundational level of the system, which is what we talked about at the beginning. We're trying to nourish the system at its base and then let it and let the assembly line self-regulate itself, right? So we want to act as like the conductor or like the, you know, the manager of the assembly line instead of like trying to like interject in there and throw off the whole system. So we want to influence it. We don't want to override it. So that's essentially the- Ooh, That's good. Ooh, I like that. We want to influence the system, not override it. I use yeah. the word allow versus force. Right. That, yeah. That's very good. I want to influence the system. I don't want to override the system. Correct. Yeah. Because And that's what we, we see. A lot more than you and I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's just like I said with, uh, you know, why the term biohacking became a thing. It's like, you yeah. know, a computer hacker doesn't know every line of code in, in a computer. That was a system, great analogy. I, I never understood software. computers so well. I mean, I understood yeah. the biological system, but I didn't, I never understood biohack or um, yeah. computer hacking really until you said that. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Cause if you think about it, you know, computer right. hacking is all about, there's a million lines of code, right? Like in the matrix right. or whatever, you know, you've got error like MS-DOS or something. And there's all these lines of code and you have to speak that language or be able to read it. But no hacker knows every line of code. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of line of code, but they, they know a, a code sequence that can influence this line that influences that line that, that and they just put it in and see what happens on the other end. And then they sort of like try to influence or direct the system. And that's kind of what we're doing. Yeah. We're trying to do something that doesn't override the system. And, and so that's really what we're doing. And that's what, so with most plant medicines, that's really the case. And it's certainly the case with kava. Some plant medicines are more biologically compatible for long-term regular use without blowback the, you know, than others. Some are more like acute medicines and some are like tonic herbs or tonic medicines that we find. Certain types of nutrients, certain types of foods, certain types of like say Chinese or Ayurvedic herbs are like tonic in nature that they give to the body and they help that assembly line work more efficiently in the body the, the longer we take them over time and they signal, they add to our body's intelligence um, by inserting their intelligence, right? Uh, so that's that's absolutely the case with kava. So I, you know, you know, going back to me actually scrounging to try to find a plant-based analog, I I came across kava because it really is nature's most powerful sort of GABA enhancing or anxiety relieving tonic substance, right? You have you know other substances that can hit harder, more psychoactive like cannabis and and some others. Um, but, but cannabis doesn't hit on those receptors. It affects a, a different system that sort of regulates a lot. It's more complicated and it's sort of like a double-edged sword. It works for some, doesn't work for others. Makes a lot of people, you know, incapacitated or too stony. If you're talking about medical cannabis and CBD is very subtle, it's good. It's, it's, it's regulatory, but it's, it's, it's very, very subtle. And sometimes um, subtle. For yes, client. exactly. And that, and then that was what I ran into. I, I tried all of those things. I tried all kinds of just regular adaptogenic herbs and stuff that just were sort of, you know, I mean, they're good, but you know, for me, it was a little bit, you know, with some of these herbs, like, like, you know, chamomile or passion flower, it was a little bit like shooting a BB gun in a freight train. 
um, it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't near enough, right. To, to get me off of the benzodiazepine or to stop my seizures or anything like that. You know, you're talking about very mild effects and actually Kava, um, when I revisited it, uh, I was reading in the anthropological literature and in the scientific literature and it was reading all these amazing things. I had seen it before and I had tried it before, you know, a couple of years prior to that when I was going through and trying every supplement known to man, but I was just getting it basically from the health food store in a form, an encapsulated form called Kava Kava was, which is what, you know, they, they name it twice and it's sort of, that's the form that it's in the market as like, like, you know, currently. And I thought that that was kava. And as I started to read more and more, I started to realize, hey, how they're speaking about kava in the in the literature, in the in the anthropological accounts, like the the islanders, is not even close to the effects profile that I got off of taking this capsule from the health food store. So I knew I was missing something. So I decided to revisit it because I was desperate. I got in contact with some people in the South Pacific, some farmers, some people in the kava industry down in there. There was a language barrier. I just sort of had to, you know, push my way in there and get on the on the phone with somebody. Um, and you know, eventually, I was I was talking to them and asking them, and I was I was brought into this whole world of education that there's kava is not all one thing. There's hundreds of different strains, just like with cannabis. And actually, most of the kava on the market doesn't even classify as real kava at all. I told them what I had tried before and they sort of laughed and they said, that's not kava. That's like a kava-like product that they're calling kava. But kava actually is prepared in a certain way, traditionally. And if you don't prepare it in a certain way, it's, it's using water and pressure. It's like a kava is actually traditionally a, a drink that's, that's prepared from the roots of this shrub, Piper methysticum. Kind of like matcha tea? Like a little bit, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, a little bit, but it's it's prepared in a specific way. So it's a shrub with these beautiful heart-shaped leaves. This is it right here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's been used for over three thousand years in islands like Fiji and Vanuatu and uh, Tonga and Papua New Guinea and even Hawaii. But they prepare it, and they only use the roots of this plant. That's actually an important part of of sourcing it because the roots don't contain any of the plant defense alkaloids that are irritating to human beings. It's part of like the plant defense system. But they use the roots of this plant um, and they basically, they grind it down, they put it in a strainer bag and they knead it into a bowl of warm to hot water um, for like 30 to 45 minutes in a very specific way, applying a certain amount of pressure. They never use solvents like alcohol or chemicals to extract it um, because whenever you do that, it actually cuts down most of the effects. You, you get like about an 80, 90% reduction in the overall effects profile. Some of the effects of color are completely gone whenever you do that basically because a solvent grabs certain active ingredients and leaves others. And all the ingredients that I described earlier, sort of in this living system have to work together. And just like the instruments in a musical orchestra, when you grab a couple of the instruments, all, all of a sudden the depth uh, and uh, of the overall sound that you get out of it is like just a small shade, right? Um, which is which is basically, you know, symbolic of the overall effects that it has when you put it in your body. And from so a that's perspective, a totally different tone, a totally different frequency. Absolutely. Totally you know, different. All of healing, all of life is frequency. So that's essentially what we're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. if the man-made has a frequency that's got a little bit of depth to it, whereas the kava root, the specific mm-hmm. kava root has huge frequencies and many tones, not just two instruments. That's a good, Absolutely. You, you like analogies like I do. I do. Yeah. You know, you kind of get to that place eventually whenever you spend a long time trying to describe really complex things to people and you're trying to find ways uh, you know symbolically like okay it's like this right <laughs> you know, 
but uh yeah so so anyways that's essentially right it's like that that metaphor of the musical orchestra it's it's yeah. it's the overall depth of the um and and the sort of vibrancy of the experience that you get from having all of that living system in there you get you, you, you know, the full essence of it um and kava just has a huge depth of effects whenever you drink it traditionally and then whenever you extract it with solvents like alcohol which is what 99% of the kava and health food stores is they just do an alcohol thing to get a high yield and they use crappy material a lot of times bad strains and stuff you end up with this little capsule that is not that much different than just drinking chamomile tea it's something but it's not anything that like the indigenous people have like raved about for like generations and it's sacred it's a that's absolutely a pivotal part of the of the social framework of these islands right they in these islands, the indigenous people use kava in almost every social context imaginable. So spiritual ceremonies, weddings, funerals, um, social gatherings, they have kava bars. They have 20 times as many kava bars as they do regular bars because kava is not addictive and kava doesn't make you drunk. It gives you that euphoria and that social enhancement, that relaxation without any of the side effects. And so they see it as a superior um, sort of tonic to alcohol. Um, so so anyways, yeah, it, so that's that's basically whenever I started trying the real stuff, I, I had these people from the indigenous uh, islands send me some of the real root material. I prepared it. I was very sick. It was hard for me to do because I was, could barely, I, I think I even had my family help me with it at first because I had no energy to do anything. Um, but uh, I started preparing. I started drinking it. Um, and over the first few days, I started to notice a substantial effect, like more than I had you know, ever felt from any single plant substance in relation to anxiety relief uh, and just cognitive function and everything. Um, and, you know, after about two weeks, I was, my sensitivities, my seizures had reduced by like 40 or 50%. After a month and a half, I, I had like an 80 to 90% reduction in all of my excitatory symptoms, right? So all of my reactions, all of a sudden I was able to tolerate eating foods, almost any food. And, you know, you taking supplements and I was having almost no seizures. It was like a miracle. I never would have thought I would have gotten that level of therapeutic efficacy off of one compound. I thought maybe I'd find something to get a little help. Um, and I was just, just hoping for the best. And I had tried medical cannabis that didn't work, but just hitting these sort of same receptors, it was more efficient than the benzodiazepine. And within two months I was able to get completely off my benzos, which these drugs are, uh, have a, <laughs> have a reputation for being extraordinarily difficult for getting off of, right? These drugs, a lot of times, this class of drugs takes minimum of a year to a year and a half to get off of if you've been on them for a couple of years or more. Some people have been on them for longer than that. And some people it's like the, the withdrawals can kill you if, yeah. if you go too fast, it is horrific. It's, it's just as bad as the opiate epidemic uh, or it's comparable and the amount of people that actually die from it and stuff too. It's, it's you know, benzos are gnarly stuff. But the fact that I was able to get off in two months was just, it was, it was like a medical miracle. If you, if you've been in this world and observe people, benzodiazepine addiction, seizures, the whole thing. So I was floored to say the least. And, and me and Dr. Pompa as well, we we're just like, wow, this is completely amazing. So we started, he started having me talk to a lot of the other clients that were experiencing similar things, not at the same level. Most of them, I was probably one of the worst clients he ever had. Um, and we were just getting consistent results with it, consistent results with it on a huge percentage of people. And it was like, wow, this is really, really amazing. So that got me into it. And 
over the next several years, as I started working more and getting into this field and doing research for various influencers in the, in the field and uh, starting to write and starting to develop product across the board, um, I realized that there was a tremendous need, obviously, for this compound. And actually, kava is more relevant today than it ever has been because this is a, a broad spectrum, intelligent, protective substance, maybe nature's most powerful single protective substance that protects from the damaging effects of stress and stress is like the name of this game that we're currently immersed in right 2020 you can make 2020 equals stress like Absolutely. that is an absurd year for most and people. and it's not it's like you know covet was an, a tremendous leverage tool for me the big answer was the whole picture was the multi-therapeutic approach was diet was you know you know reducing emotional stress processing emotional traumas was detoxification it, it, it was the whole picture. So it's not like the Kava was the only thing that I did by any means, like I mentioned earlier, but it was, it was, it gave me tremendous leverage because sometimes whenever we're overburdened by stress and trauma, we, we get, we freeze, we're just paralyzed. And it's hard for us to even sort of strategize on a even potential path out of our circumstances. Right. And a lot of us turn to drugs and alcohol, like we're seeing in epidemic levels in the year 2020 here, we already were, but now it's like, you know, you know, forget it, unemployment, you know, suicide, the whole thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, having a, what I call plant-based safe crutches, right. That can help to sort of reduce the, the acute traumatic experience and the acute stress response enough to where we can kind of get under the hood and work on it um, is just so profoundly valuable. But Kava does more than that though. It, it helps to reduce the acute symptoms of stress reduce the excitability, helps to turn your brain on too. There's a nootropic component to it as well. There's actually a psychological component to it as well that it increases introspective thinking and all this stuff, but um, which is an, a whole other thing with Kava. But, but at the same time, it helps to rehabilitate the parasympathetic nervous system. The studies now that, that are coming out that we see today, you know, we're seeing a, a consistent increase in GABA receptor density with long-term Kava use. Basically what that means is not only is it helping, not only is it not just borrowing from tomorrow to pay for today and depleting the system, but it's actually refueling that system and rebuilding, helping to rehabilitate that system while keeping it under control. If you understand the value of that, that is, that is, it's profound because the cost of using a drug to reduce your symptoms now is at the cost of tomorrow. And, and Kava not only is helping with today, but it's helping to make it better tomorrow at the same time. So it's exponentially, um, it's yes. literally exponentially beneficial versus exponentially detrimental. Because that is the story of drugs is that drugs are not an answer because they are not addressing the underlying source of trauma emotionally, psychologically, or physically. In fact, they're further exhausting the system. And by, by escaping into drugs, you're giving a short-term instantaneous gratification or relief at the cost of a bigger problem, of, you know, depleting your bank account further tomorrow. So you're going to be less resistant against stress tomorrow because now you have even less of those chemicals <laughs> available, those feel-good chemicals, uh, once you start using them up with drugs. We don't want to use them up. We want to replete them, but, but we want to activate them at the same time. And that's, that's sort of, that's what's so amazing about kava because kava is in this perfect realm of tolerability. Um, it doesn't knock you off your center like cannabis can. It doesn't make you, it's, you, you're, it's like an enhanced state of sobriety 
like a calm focused state of sobriety. And, um, it really is an amazing leverage tool during times of trauma. So it was just profound for me. And I want to make this clear for everybody listening, because I'm sure a lot of people right now are on gettruecava.com, which is Cameron's website, uh, gettruecava.com. Not all kavas are created equal. And that's why he went on the bandwagon to develop this particular product, because he was like, everything else on the market isn't going to get the same result as you and Dr. Pompa got with that researched client base that you were using when you yeah. use the kava from this source because it's all about the authenticity of the source and the frequency that that authentic product material yes. is creating and this is a particular kava so i don't want anybody it's like when we say to go to the dentist right we've got to qualify that go to the trained biological dentist don't just go yes. to your dentist don't just run out remember Cameron's story. He had used kava in the past and it wasn't effective. It wasn't until he got these different source, made a tea with that source. And then they started utilizing that source in the research. That's when they got the result because yes. it does matter. The source of which we take our food from, we take our supplements from absolutely matters for the effect that it's going to get in the body, the frequency that it's going to give that body to set up that mechanistic shift in the body to change the physiology. Night and day difference, right? Sourcing of your plant material makes all the difference in the world. The three major bullet points of things that we take into account, we use a, the correct strains that, you know, I, I, I talked about earlier, there's many different strains. There are certain strains that are tolerable for daily use. There are certain strains that are therapeutic and certain strains that grow faster. that are not as therapeutic that are not even really that consumable by humans for a lot of reasons, because they're more wild and they're not really, you know, as medicinally compatible. So we, we grow our own strains and we, we, um, we harvest our own strains and we, we uh, test to make sure that they're hundred percent that specific strain. So we use the highest quality, you know, medicinal grade strains of Kava A, it's lab tested. All our material is lab tested for both and biologically lab tested. It's not like you did a test when you started and then go, okay, good. We trust them. You can oh, yes. yeah. you continue to test it as a good scientist that you and Dr. Pampa are mm -hmm. to ensure that you're continuing to get that same quality. It's, it's tested after the product is done, no matter what is, you know, no matter what labs we have actually from the islands or it's, it's tested in the islands, it's tested afterwards, whenever we get to the States and the product is finished. We test it for, for, um, for a you know, chemical composition to make sure that the, the active constituents are in line with their highest therapeutic value. The active constituents are called kava lactones. We test for that. And then we also test for both biological and industrial contaminants because that can be a huge problem with kava as well too. Uh, in islands like Fiji, they use a lot of glyphosate. They use a lot of pesticides. And so we grow our own kava. We have our own kava source that's grown 100% organically. And a lot of kava is riddled with mold and mycotoxins and bacteria because to increase the yields, a lot of farmers will actually leave it wet for longer periods of time. It grows a lot of mold, just like coffee has mycotoxin issues. This is a big deal. Um, it actually can contribute uh, and, and doesn't, can mess up the kava experiences. Um, you know, mycotoxins can cause anxiety, right? So, you know, you, you really don't want that in there at all. Um, you know, and then, the, well, and then we also created our own extraction methods that are not, that are a solvent-free extraction method that um, bypasses the consumer's need to do that sort of like long drawn out process of squeezing it and preparing it. But we, we made it into a refined oil where we extracted just the good active 
complex of these active constituents that are lipids inside kava with a pressing process that's truly cold pressed, that's not grinding or oxidizing it at all. Um, and we're pulling that out without excess liquid and we put that in a, a shelf stable kava oil. That's our kavaplex oil is what we call it. And then we have um, our elevate shot line that are like these, these kava shots that look like five hour energy shots, but they're kava shots. And they're a little bit stronger. They're for like more acute uh, sort of um, anxiety ridden situations. And we have a whole drink line coming in the future that's really like the, the most powerful version of kava that's like brings the full safe recreational effects of kava that people enjoy at kava bars and very, very deep relaxation. And that's coming within, uh, you know, probably the next, probably, you know, first quarter of this next year, we'll have a whole drink line available at that. And um, as well as some therapeutics for the medical space as well too. So we've got a lot of things coming out in the future. In the future, we're going to be, you know, releasing kava by individual strain because some strains are better for certain situations than others. Some strains are more daytime, strains are more nighttime. The one that we use right now is good balanced across the board. So it's not, it's anxiolytic. It's not gonna put you to sleep, but it'll lead to a good sleep at night if you take it during the day. And it's really elicits that state of really calm, clean focus, smooth focus. And um, you know, that's, that's really what uh, a good balanced kava is all about, so. You know, we've not made uh, True Kava available on Not Med's website, but I'm sitting here thinking that perhaps we should make it available on our website. And I think we should give everybody, I will give everybody a discount um, yeah. if they make their first order with us after listening to this podcast. You just have to mention this podcast and put in Cameron as the code and yes. then you get a 10% off of the retail and you can start your cop. You can start trying your kava today and you don't have to have a seizure disorder for this. You have to be a human that maybe has dealt with some stress. And I pretty much think that sums up the entire human population in the year yeah. 2020. Cause I, you know, and for me, this is a timely, like you have been on my list as we started this podcast, but I said to Sarah a couple of weeks ago, let's move Cameron up the list because bottom line is when we started this podcast, anxiety was not what I was concerned with. It was about people understanding immunology and their immune system, their lymphatic system. And, and as this has continued, it has become very apparent that the real pandemic is the anxiety and the fear that's plagued this whole world. And a substance like kava is going to do a huge job in helping us resolve that stress to come into that higher state of consciousness because now we're all aware that we were really not all of us perhaps listening to this podcast, but maybe some of you were sicker than you thought. Present company excluded, because Cameron and I have been working at this for a while, that outside of, you know, most people are pretty sick and through coronavirus, they became very aware of how sick they were. And now they're out there seeking that information that Cameron has researched for 20 years and is now putting out there, that I've done the same thing through my own story, that we knew that it was important for us and truly from our heart to yours. That's why this is called The Beats, because we don't give inauthentic interviews here. This is about truly we want to give you and guard you with the tools that you need in your body to help you deal with every single day and have that default program of wellness be what your body's running. And Kava is a great way to do it. And so if there's anything else you want to add, I am so thankful. And I know we need you back because we need to know more about Kava and its, um, you know, therapeutic benefits and how it chemically works. I think that would be a great um, show now that we've got the foundation down a little bit. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's, you know, we could go on forever. There's there, you know, there's so much 
there's so much content here centered around Kava, its application, and and how it can be applied with other different strategies for processing traumas, both both you know the you know the software, the psychological portion of of traumas that's embedded in a person's psyche, but as well as the physiological portion as well too. There's a detoxification component to it, obviously. There's a regenerative component on the other side, and then there's a reprogramming component as well. Um, so it, it it fits into a lot of this. There's there's a lot of content around utilizing kava and and sort of other parallel plant medicines as well, because there's a whole host of different ones, and kava's one of the all stars right now. That's just so incredibly relevant in today's time. And it, you know, I, my main goal with with this project, with the True Kava Initiative, was was really to to bring True Kava and to set a quality standard in the marketplace for good, clean safe kava that was that's used in its natural context in the same form that indigenous people have used it for 3000 years and enjoyed the effects of it um, and to maintain that quality standard and to also educate people on the amazing benefits of kava as an alternative to more egregious substances that are causing a huge amount of human suffering in the world and you know everything that, that we do and everything that i do is targeted at um you know, just trying to develop and deliver or make a contribution to real solutions to, you know, to real problems, right? Whenever I was sick, as I said, I was running against the clock. I, I didn't have time for BS. I didn't have time for gimmicks. I didn't have time for misdirection and false information and marketing and all this BS that, that happens, you know, sometimes we come across. And, you know, we're so inundated with information. We live in an information age where we're just so immersed in it. A lot of people just get paralyzed, right? Because they don't know what to do or who to trust. And so we want to be just as, as clear and concise as possible and always be going by the research and by the data and um, just just be trying to, you know, to reach the public with this message and then everything else that we're doing at the same time um, in the most accurate way as possible. Uh, because, you know, people are hurting. People really, really need solutions today because we're in the middle of so many different epidemics stress is at the core of that for sure and um you know we just want to be part of the solution so well it sounds like and it feels like from my perspective you've hit your goal spot on brother and we really appreciate all the work that you're doing continuing to do and this was a lot of fun it, it was really really great to get to know you a little bit better and to let the world get to know you a lot better and to really understand true kava and it's amazing benefits that God's given us all that we need on this planet. We just need to learn how to use everything that God's given us. I kind of feel like that with our phones, right? Like we have these things that we don't really know how to use, <laughs> but when we, you know how to use them, it's unbelievable how it can assist you. And Absolutely. that's exactly what we've talked about today. So from our heart to yours, we'll see on the beats with Kelly Kennedy, make sure that you share this Give us a thumbs up if you liked us. Give us some feedback about this episode. I really appreciate when you all do that. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.